Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with, true, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. And the day is approaching, and it will very soon be here. And we have this wonderful privilege to approach God, to come into his presence, into the holiest, as it says in verse 19, into the presence of God to uh, commune with him and to worship him by the blood of Jesus, which is abundantly adequate to cover our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have a new and fresh way, the new covenant through Christ's sacrifice to come to him. What a privilege that is. And we have a great high priest. And the high here is great and wonderful and a worthy priest, not in any way like the priests of earth, the Levites, and he is the head of the church. He is the priest, our sacrifice and our intercessor. And he's saying here that in, the, in this passage, since we have this privilege to approach God through Jesus Christ, and since we have this wonderful priest, our intercessor, redeemer, let us draw near with a true heart. Let us together, and that's what we're doing here this morning, drawing near to God together. And we, uh, we need to come to God alone and read our Bibles and pray. Our personal relationship with God is is very important. But then we're called to come together. And that's a, an added blessing. And God often blesses us through other people who have been blessed by God. So if we are blessed in our personal time with God, we're better able to receive blessings. We're better able to bless other people. And so this morning, as we're here at the beginning of this service, it is very possible. It, is, uh, it can be reality 
that we leave this place closer to God than when we came. It is possible, and I believe that Christ, the Redeemer, would have it, that we leave this place closer to one another, that we love one another in a deeper way than when we came. It is a blessing to be together. It is a blessing to worship God together. And uh, we can encourage one another as we see the day approaching. I remember Henry Zook a number of times coming to communion, thankful that he could be there, an old man, thankful that he was still able to come. And he said for a number of communions, this may be the last one. Well, some communion will be the last one. Maybe this one, maybe not. But this is our day of opportunity and God would want us to worship, to be conscious about him, of him, in our worship to him, to be conscious of one another and loving one another and glorifying God. Shall we stand together for prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful this morning that you've brought us together on this beautiful morning to worship you. We want to worship you with, a, with our whole hearts, sincerely. We thank you for Jesus Christ through whom we can approach you, that we can have through his shed blood, we can have forgiveness from our sins, and we can come to your throne with confidence and assurance. We can come with our gratitude. We can come with our, with our confessions and our repentance. And we can come to you with our praise and our worship and our adoration. And we love you. And we're so grateful. And we pray that this morning would be a time of worship that would be acceptable to you and that we would each one be touched by your spirit and drawn closer to you. And we pray, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit, fill us with love for one another, and that we could be drawn closer to each other as well as this local body meets together to commemorate the, uh, the shed blood and broken body, the death of our Redeemer. So we pray that, that you would be glorified in our worship here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wish to greet you in Christ's name. It's indeed a privilege to be here today to worship with the people of God. And it's a special Sunday for us, Communion Sunday. I count it a privilege to celebrate that with you as a brotherhood and as a family of God, I think our over, uh, overarching attitude this morning should be one of gratitude to God for his unspeakable gift. Early one morning, six o'clock, according to the account, a James Lawson from California, Central California, I believe it is, went to look for a new job 
he left his home up in the mountains, the San Bernardino Mountains, and was driving, and he left. And a little bit later, his wife, 36-year-old Patsy, took their two children along with her. She was a school teacher, and they, she was driving down out of the mountains. It was the last time that, that James would see his wife alive. And uh, about eight hours later, he, they found her in the uh, wreckage of their car down in the bottom in a, of the mountain in a, in, a, uh, in a little river in a creek. And James went down there and discovered her. The car was upside down, and, and his wife was dead, and his daughter was dead. But in her arms was their two-year-old son, and she was holding him up above the waterline in the car. I can only imagine what, uh, what he thought. But as I think of a mother's love in the case of this incident, I think of uh, Christ giving his life for us. And I think as we celebrate communion today, that should be our attitude, that should be our um, thought. Thank you, God, for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life as a sacrifice for me. The title of today's message is Communion with God. It's a communion message. I invite you to turn to Job chapter 22 for a text. Job chapter 22 and verse 21. Job 22 verse 21 says, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Receive, I pray thee, the law from his mouth and lay up his words in thine heart. If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up and thou shalt put away iniquity far from thy tabernacles. This these few verses are actually taken from a response of one of Job's friends. He mistakenly thought that Job was actually far from God, and he was advising him to come back to God. But it, it, he is dead on in his advice to us today in our communion with God. I think most Sometimes we think of communion as a communion that we have with one another as we are in fellowship with each other and with God. Today I want to focus, the focus of this message is communion with God, our relationship with the Almighty. And it's an important aspect of communion, our communion with God, the vertical communion, if you will, if you will. Are you acquainted with God? The text says, acquaint thyself now with God. Do you know him? Do you know his character? Do you know his reputation? Have you seen how he operates? Do you know what makes him laugh, what makes him cry? 
and what he enjoys doing in his free time. That will be the first point of the message this morning is our acquaintance with God, our knowledge of God. Have you been reconciled to God? That's the second point. Are you at peace with God? Is your relationship stormy or is it settled? Is everything taken care of? Is your slate clean? It must be if you are to enjoy communion with God. Reconciliation is the second part of the message. The third point will be our identification with Jesus. Identifying with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. Identifying with him in new life. Identifying is part of the communion experience. Identifying with Jesus in communion. So the message will be three main areas. Knowledge, reconciliation, and identification with God. The first one then is the knowledge of God. There's a large dichotomy between knowing there is a God and actually knowing God, being acquainted with God. I I like that term acquainted. It's an older term. You don't maybe hear it as much anymore where people talk about being acquainted with someone. But it's still uh, something that we know what it means. An acquaintance is someone that I have spent some time with or in some way have gotten to know over a period of time. You know, we can know about something about someone without being acquainted with them. I know something about uh, President Barack Obama, but I'm not an acquaintance of his. I don't share that, um, that personal back and forth that an acquaintance has. Knowing there is a God, knowing some things about him, and being acquainted with him are two different things. An acquaintance is one where we have, we have uh, uh, established a relationship. The devils believe that there is a God, but it's not doing them any good. It won't do them any good. They tremble, James says, because they believe there is a God, but they don't have that acquaintance with God. And it's very critical in communion with God that we are acquainted with God. We have spent time with him that we appreciate what he's like, what his character is like, understanding what he created us to be like in his image. Many people just assume that they naturally know God. And that's not true. We don't naturally know God. We have, I believe, within us a natural, uh, a a feeling that there is a power out there that's, that's God, but we don't really know God naturally. I wasn't born with that acquaintance. We, everyone, I believe, over their years, through their experiences, gain a perception of God. But for some, it is very inaccurate. It is a very um, inaccurate perception. Um, bad teaching, assumptions that we make, uh, faulty role models. These all contribute to an unbalanced perception of God. Some people focus on God's love to the exclusion of his holiness, for instance. 
God is also absolutely holy and just. Some focus on God's mercy to sinners, and that's very true. God is very merciful to sinners. If he wouldn't be, we wouldn't be here. But do you know that God is also angry at the wicked every day? Every day he is angry at the wicked people. Unfortunately, if we don't have an acquaintance with God, we can come up with our own God. We create a God, a false God, a God of our own perception. And it contributes to a life of moral slumber. If we focus only on God's mercy without the terribleness of sin being there. Do you know God? Are you acquainted with God? That is a part of communion with God. Do you know him? And you have to answer that question because some of you don't know him very intimately, very deeply. And I, it's, it's a growing thing. It's something that we need to grow in, our acquaintance with God. Job's friend Eliphaz says, Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Therefore, good shall come unto thee. Acquaint yourself with God. That's part of the communion with God, is an acquaintance. One of the ways that we do that, of course, is through the scriptures. We need to be a student of the scriptures in knowing, getting to become acquainted with God. It's his word to us, and it helps us to become acquainted. His awesome power portrayed in the creation. That is an accurate perception. His holiness that's thundered through the Old Testament, that is accurate. When he destroyed sin in Sodom and Gomorrah, when it took an awesome sacrifice to allow people to come into his presence, God's faithfulness is portrayed through the way he worked with his patriarchs in the Old Testament and New and the Prophets how that none of his promises failed. His justice was shown by the way he meted out uh, punishment on those who were rebellious and ungodly. And then his love and compassion is shown to us by the coming of his son Jesus to die for us in the way that he was willing to be humiliated and give his life on the cross. Are you acquainted with the God that is real. Communion with God involves a continuous, ongoing searching for the truth about God. You know, day by day as Christians, we need to search out God. It's not something that comes to us on its own. We need to search out God. You know, when we have our personal time with God, we are trying to find out what God is like. We are becoming acquainted with God. And if we don't have that time, if we don't have that time of, of exposure to God, we don't become acquainted with God. And that's what communion with God is all about, allowing our insights to be changed as we learn more about God and as we think and relate to God. Acquaintance with God, that's the first part of our communion with him. The second one is reconciliation. Reconciliation is when we have been estranged for some reason from God and now we've been reconciled. We've come back. Acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. 
If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up, and thou shalt put iniquity far from thy tabernacles. We need more than knowledge of God. We need reconciliation. We may know about God's characteristics, but we have no delight in what we know. There may be an alienation from God. Perhaps you are nursing some besetting sin, and that alienates you from God. Maybe there's some forbidden pleasure that you're indulging in that alienates you from God. Maybe you're worshiping some secret idol. And I've asked myself, it's so, I'm so prone to doing it, worshiping some secret idol. That is alienation from God. And as I continue to worship an idol, that will form a chasm, a deep gulf between myself and God. And I need to be reconciled to God. All the knowledge in the world will not bring communion with God if we're alienated from him. Our heart must be humbled. Pride alienates us from God. Our heart must be humbled. Our heart must be broken. It's pride cast out. Our need must be acknowledged. I'd like to share with you the admonition from the Apostle Paul where he says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I can see Paul reaching out to the Corinthians and he's saying, you need to be reconciled to God. I, I sense there's, there's, a, there's not that relationship with God that, that, he, that you need and that he desires. You know, when there's that chasm between us and God, we are on one side, willful, sinful. And on the other side, there's a holy God whose hand is reaching out across that, that gap, that chasm, and, and asking us to come to be reconciled. He sent his son, Jesus, to be a propitiation for our sin as an atoning sacrifice. Reconciliation is always two-sided. God stands over that, by that chasm, reaching out, asking us to come. But we have to submit. We have to humble ourselves. We have to repent and come to him in brokenness and submission. The rebellious and the proud will never go there. It must be embraced by reconciliation, must be embraced by the sinner. And God will not. He has chosen to give us the freedom of choice. He will not violate our choice. Reconciliation is not only for those who have never known God, but for those of us who have somehow become again entangled with sin. I don't know who I'm talking to today because I don't know your personal. I can't see your heart, but there may be someone here today who has, again, become entangled with sin. It may be a secret sin. The one who has washed, Peter says, and has once again been wallowing with the pigs, whose heart has been hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And if I'm speaking to you today, I'm urging you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is also for the one who has left his first love. His love has grown cold. His life has become stale. 
His joy is gone. His prayer is meaningless. His worship time is boring. His dedication is now to other things. Along with the Apostle Paul, I'd like to urge you to be reconciled to God. Anything that is separating you from God is not worth it. I'll tell you right front, it is not worth it. Whatever is keeping you from a, a good relationship with God is not worth it. Nothing is worth separating you from God. I encourage you to drop your pride and rebellion and be reconciled to God. Communion with God involves reconciliation. It brings peace. It brings contentment. It brings joy to us. Inexpressible joy when we are reconciled to God. It brings that acquaintance and communion that we need. You should not go through this communion service and partake if you are not reconciled to God. There is a phrase in, in, a, in a passage that I'll read just a little later from, from 1 Corinthians 11 that talks about partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. It doesn't say that you're un, you will be, you cannot do it if you're unworthy, but in an unworthy manner. We're all unworthy. But in an unworthy manner, it means that we are holding something. Something is estranging us from God, and God will not hold us guiltless. I urge you to be reconciled to God. Bow your, your heart and confess that sin that coldness, that thing that may be uh, creating a chasm between you and God. The third part of communion with God that I'd like to highlight today is identification with Christ. Knowledge of God and reconciliation to God and now identification with Christ. Communion with with God involves identification with Christ in his death and resurrection. It's the reason we're here today is to identify with Christ in his death and resurrection. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. I want to read a couple of verses there. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16 and 17. Reading from the King James. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Then if you would turn to the next chapter in 1 Corinthians 11, reading from verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this do in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And whenever you drink this bread and drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Thinking of identifying with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 6. I want to read a passage there. Romans chapter 6, the first 11 verses. Thinking of identifying with Christ in his death. Communion with God is identifying with Christ in his death. Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There is a concept here that I don't, I haven't gotten to the bottom of, but I, 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 I know it's real, it's true, and I want to share it and let the Holy Spirit hopefully speak to all of us about it, and that is identifying with Christ in his death. You know, when he died, 2,000 years ago, we died with him. The Bible tells us that. We died with him in that we identify in his death. Our identity is strongly tied to the person of Christ. We identify with him in his death. We die also to our old self. We are raised with him to a new life. We identify and, and access the power of resurrection for new life. We are little Christs. We are Christians in that we identify with Christ. We have a new family. We have a new father. We have a big brother who we identify with. I found an illustration that I'd like to share with you about identifying with, with God. Um, some, of the, some of the incidents in this account may are a little shaky maybe, it is a real-life account, but uh, Snopes says that some of it is not factual. I think the main parts are. It tells the story of a Fred uh, Craddock and his wife, Nettie, who were visiting Tennessee. Fred and Nettie Craddock were returning to Oklahoma from a vacation in the Great Smoky Mountains. They stopped at a restaurant near Gatlinburg in the small community of Cosby, Tennessee. It was called the Black Bear Inn, and had an excellent view of the mountains. 
Early in the meal, an elderly man approached their table and greeted them. Are you on vacation, he asked. Fred said, yes, but under his breath he was saying, it's really none of your business. Where are you from, the man asked. We're from Oklahoma. What do you do in Oklahoma? Again, under his breath, Fred Craddock was saying, leave us alone, we're on vacation, and we don't know who you are. But he answered, I'm a Christian minister. The man paused a moment and said, I owe a great deal to a minister of the Christian church. And he pulled up a chair and sat down. You can envision the, the setting, a little restaurant, probably something like Cracker Barrel, but maybe a little classier, I don't know. Anyway, this old man pulls up a chair. He said, I grew up in these mountains. My mother was not married, and the whole community knew it. I was what was called an Ill illegitimate child. In those days, that was a shame, and I was ashamed. The reproach that fell on her also fell on me. When I went into town with her, I could see people staring at me, making guesses as to who was my father. At school, the children said ugly things to me, and so I stayed to myself during recess, and I ate my lunch alone. In my early teens, I began to attend a little church back in the mountains called Laurel Springs Christian Church. It had a minister who was both attractive and frightening. He had a chiseled face and a heavy beard and a deep voice. I went to hear him preach. I don't know exactly why, but it did something for me. However, I was afraid I was not welcome since I was, as they put it, a bastard. So I would go just in time for the sermon, and when it was over, I would move out because I was afraid someone would say, what's a boy like you doing in church? One Sunday morning, some people lined up in the aisle before I could get out, and I was stopped. Before I could make my way through the group, I felt a hand on my shoulder. A heavy hand, it was that minister. I cut my eyes around and caught a glimpse of his beard and his chin, and I knew who it was. I trembled in fear. He turned his face around so he could see mine and seemed to be staring for a little while. I knew what he was doing. He was going to make a guess as to who my father was. A moment later, he said, well, boy, you're a child of... And he paused there, and I knew it was coming. I knew I would have my feelings hurt. I knew I would not go back again. I, he said, boy, you're a child of God. I see a striking resemblance, boy. Then he swatted me on the bottom and said, now go claim your inheritance. I left the building a different person. In fact, that was really the beginning of my life. Dr. Craddock was so moved by the man's story, he had, he had to ask him, what's your name? It's the old man. He said, Ben Hooper. Craddock recalled, though vaguely, his own father talking when Fred was just a child about how the people of Tennessee had twice elected a governor, as governor, a bastard named Ben Hooper. Ben Hooper had gained an identity that changed his life. We, too, share an identity here in this group, and that identity is with, with God. We know who our dad is. We know who our big brother is. Every six months or so, we come together to celebrate communion. We eat the bread which symbolizes the broken body of Christ, his sacrificial death, we drink the grape juice, which symbolizes his shed blood, which, he, which atones for us. 
And that sacrifice on Calvary makes it all possible. We publicly show the Lord's death until he returns to take us home. We are so grateful for what Christ did on the cross, and we acknowledge it in a public forum. It's a privilege to identify with Christ. But the part that is startling to me is that it's also very costly. And that's where the, where the rub comes in for me is, how, do I really identify in his death? You know, I, I'm going to be taking part of the communion today. I want to eat that piece of bread. But in, in that doing that, I'm identifying with his death. And that's costly. Because when I identify with Christ in communion, I'm saying that I identify with your death. When you died 2,000 years ago, I died also. And I'm dying to myself. I'm dying to my old flesh. I'm dying. I know it's just a symbol, but I am saying with this that I am dying. I die with you. You know, it, it cost him. It was never a cheap thing when Christ died. It was a terrible sacrifice. It was a terrible sacrificing of his own will. And he struggled with it. But he gave his will over to the Father. And he said, I'm willing to go through with this. And it's never easy for us to die. It's never easy for us to die. But we can't live that new life in communion with God unless we're willing to die. Unless we're willing to identify in his death. I urge you not to be ashamed and recalling, but to embrace your identity in Christ. To die with him, privately and publicly. To live a new life with Christ in private and public identity with him. Today we are celebrating communion as a local body, and it's a real privilege to do that. I, I, sometimes we forget that it's a command that we do celebrate communion. It's a command, and, and as, as a command, we need to have a means of carrying it out, and this body is that means of carrying out that command to remember him, to identify with Christ, to, to enjoy communion with God and with each other. Communion involves a relationship with God, involves a relationship with the family of God. Today we have focused on the knowledge of God, becoming acquainted with him, re reconciling to him if we have strayed to be at peace with God and then identifying with Christ in his death and in his new life. I trust that as we share together today that it will be meaningful to us, that it's not the same thing that we do every six months, but that we attach huge significance and meaning to the fact that we are identifying with Christ in, in Holy Communion. God bless you.